Hi, it's Tom. Welcome back to the Cannabis Boomers podcast. It is March 23rd, 2020. In the midst of the coronavirus lockdown, I am sheltering in place, self-quarantining, all that stuff as you probably are too. Uh, we're all doing our part to squelch this thing as it runs rampant. We're not going to claim that CBD can cure the coronavirus because that's definitely not true and we would not uh, ever go there. But we do have a pharmacist today, Dr. Swathi Varanasi, and we're talking about wellness and how CBD can help you support your own wellness and do some self-care, which is definitely a necessity in these times. So we talk about full spectrum and broad spectrum and isolate CBD about the farm bill and how that is going to affect us going forward, about many different aspects of this plant, all the cannabinoids that we're just learning about now and how it can help you live a better, more healthy life. So it's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, thank you to Danny in Milwaukee for making us sound good. Glad to be back and we'll have another episode again soon. Thanks for listening. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. It's Tom. We're back with the Cannaboomers podcast. Today we have Swathi Varanasi. Dr. Swathi Varanasi is a pharmacist in Los Angeles. How are you today, Swathi? I'm great. How are you? Very good. Thank you. I'll mention that it's March 23rd, 2020. So we are in the woods of the coronavirus epidemic. I don't know if we're going to be out of the woods soon. Maybe we're just getting into them. But you're a professional who helps people take care of themselves. So I wanted to ask you, how are you taking care of yourself right now? I'm trying to drink as many fluids as possible, trying to get an adequate amount of rest, trying to eat healthy, and also just social distancing. So I haven't left the house in quite a few days. <laughs> right. Well, a lot of people out here seem to have a problem with that concept um, right now. So thank you for doing that. And thank everyone who's listening for taking care of themselves as well. So we're here to talk about CBD. You know, as a pharmacist, you're in between the, the doctor and the patients, kind of a unique place to be to help educate consumers. When you talk with people about CBD, what sort of misunderstandings are you hearing? Um, I think a lot of people think that it's 100% something that they don't need to worry about interacting with other medications. And also, I think that um, because it's just so easily accessible and readily available, I think a lot of people can just use it for any sort of ailment. And so I think that's maybe one of the the biggest misconceptions. Yeah, I mean, we sort of have this um, mythology in Western medicine that you just, you take a pill and it, it solves everything. And maybe some people have attributed CBD that way. But let's talk about some of the complications. What, what are some of the things we should watch out for with CBD? Sure. Um, I think, so there are some drugs in particular that you would not recommend someone to take CBD if they were on those medications. A lot of the studies that have been done, the amount of the CBD that the participant has been taking is a lot higher than a lot of the, um, than the average person would be taking for a certain disease state. Um, but that being said, I do think it still is important to extrapolate from that. And even though they might not be taking that much, that perhaps that's still not the best choice for them if they're, you know, taking something like a warfarin or specific anticonvulsant agents. Warfarin is a blood thinner? Yeah, it's an anticoagulant. So just to be clear, I mean, a lot of pharmaceuticals have toxicity levels, right? And, and mm -hmm. with CBD, we're not really talking about that. Um, not in this particular case. I think a lot of research still remains to be seen when it comes to toxicity levels with CBD. 
But we are talking about contraindications and the yes. way it combines and, and it could create a negative effect with, with blood thinners and other things. It could create a negative effect or even um, it could completely stop the, not completely stop, but nearly eliminate the other drug from working. Um, that's a possibility or vice versa. Maybe that drug can influence CBD to not work in the system. So it's kind of their interactions within the body. Not necessarily negative, but uh, just depends on the medication and the way it's metabolized. That's probably true for, for a lot of medications, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we we don't often hear, but that's why you consult with your your pharmacist and your physician yeah. is to kind of understand how this may affect you because it, it doesn't affect everybody in the same way, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. And that's when genomics comes into, which is like a personal interest of mine, that even if we all have the same enzymes, for example, like the CYP450 system is the the most um, well-known when it comes to the metabolism of CBD and other constituents of, um, or other cannabinoids as well. And um, yeah, when it comes to that, we just don't know a lot of the genomics. If maybe someone is a poor metabolizer or an ultra metabolizer, meaning that they metabolize it very, very quickly. So we just don't know a lot of that yet. And I think once we know a lot more about genomics and we can tie that in with cannabis, that will be like the prime personalized medicine for cannabis. That sounds terrific. Do you see that mm -hmm. day coming? Is that is that like a matter of taking your 23andMe results and having them analyzed? Or how do we get to that point? Um, I do see that day coming. I'm actually working with a company that is doing that exact thing where they're taking 23andMe results and Ancestry.com results and um, other modalities um, or other platforms as well that can analyze your genetic, um, your genetic biome and then go from there and look at how that can influence um, taking cannabis and specific dosages and things like that. Well, and then the other side of that is cannabis is so multifaceted. I mean, there's 113 cannabinoids. There's mm -hmm. Or more, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who knows? There's a lot of uh, different actions you're going to get from cannabinoids. So it's like a giant matrix, right? It is, definitely. That's a great way of thinking about it. So there's a lot of potential that's we've hardly scratched the surface of, it seems like. Yeah, definitely. I would agree. And then, I mean, we haven't even talked about terpenes or anything either. And like terpenes can have incredible therapeutic potential as well. So there are just so many aspects of like even past cannabinoids, other things in the plant. So, mm -hmm. And you're pretty much ahead of the curve on this, right? Are there a lot of people in the pharmaceutical realm who are dialed in like you are? Um, there are more and more like with each passing day. There are a few organizations that either there is one that's specifically for pharmacists that are in cannabis, um, but there's also the Society of Cannabis Clinicians, um, and they have a growing population of pharmacists as well. And um, quite a few of us are actually coming together within the pharmacists and that organization to put together a CE program for pharmacists. And so hopefully we can help spread the knowledge of cannabinoids and the education behind it so that more and more pharmacists can learn more. Because I hear from so many of my colleagues that work in the community, like retail setting of pharmacy, and they just get so many questions about CBD and they don't really know where to even turn. So if we could, if we could provide that CE education or something like that, I think that would be very helpful. But yes, definitely the interest is growing. And when you say CE, is that continuing education? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. It is continuing education. Just to be 
clear. It's it's not really taught in schools yet, so it's something that pharmacists will pick up later through the, the sorts of programs you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. So. I'm hoping that that will be one of the steps that will be moving forward is including the endocannabinoid system and just the talk of cannabinoids overall within all of the medical professional curriculum. So pharmacy, medicine, dental, nursing, and everything beyond that too. So I'm hoping that that is soon. I know there are some universities that are starting to include electives or even include it in their core curriculum, which is really exciting. Did you say that you will be guest lecturing on this at UC San Diego? Yes, I will. That's great. You mentioned the endocannabinoid system. Do you see that becoming a specialty at some point? Ooh, that's a great question. I haven't asked that before. I think that that's definitely a possibility um, that someone could go into that. I think that that calling it someone who is going to be a specialist in the endocannabinoid system um, makes a lot more sense to me than like saying someone specifically only going in to be like a cannabis specialist, just because so many other agents called cannabimimetics also work on the endocannabinoid system. So I think if we can look at all those agents too, to best enhance endocannabinoid tone and enhance the way that the endocannabinoid system works, that would be like the most optimal. Because it is so far-reaching, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about a system that regulates appetite and pain and sleep and all sorts of things, right? Yeah, and it interacts with so many other organ systems and influences them, too. And it is involved with your immune system as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So the CB2 receptor is the one that I think is the most well-known when it comes to immunity and immune function. So we want to be careful not to overstate anything here, but like right now, we're in the midst of this pandemic. And, you know, I saw somewhere, someone online claimed, oh, CBD can cure coronavirus, which we know is not true. But (laughs) can it help you, as you say, kind of tone up your immune system and and be more healthy? I think potentially it could. I think in terms of looking at risk versus benefit, I think the benefit could outweigh the risk. Again, it depends on the patient and their disease states and what other medications they're taking and everything. But overall, I think just for like health and wellness, I think it would be great for immune support. And like you said earlier, there are complications sometimes where it interacts with something you're mm-hmm. taking. So. Right. You know, as a pharmacist, you're you're in partnership with your patients and in, in mm-hmm. helping them understand those things. But definitely, people need to listen to their bodies and pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. How much pushback do you get from sort of the traditional side of your profession? Are there are there a lot of skeptics still? Definitely, and I I think part of that is just because it used to be a schedule. I mean, it still is a Schedule One substance, so the highest abuse potential in that same category with LSD and all the other illicit drugs. So I think just because it still has that status, a lot of clinicians are still very weary of it as having therapeutic potential because it's put in that Schedule One status because it's quote unquote not supposed to have any therapeutic benefit. So I think that. That's probably the biggest hurdle. And I think also just because, as we kind of mentioned before, it's not taught in the curriculum. So I think if people knew more about the system, then they would understand that enhancing the system could be beneficial for someone. Right. Still so newfangled. And when you're in a profession that is first do no harm, people Mm -hmm. have to have the confidence that it's, it's going to be safe. 
And it's fascinating that it's um, like I would I would definitely call it newfangled right now just because it's fascinating just because it's been around for so many years and so many different groups around the world have used it. And so it's just interesting that now it's finally getting its uh, its light in the U.S. Well, right. I mean, people have been consuming cannabis for thousands of years, right? I mean, right. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard it said that it's the, the biggest clinical trial in human history. <laughs> well, <laughs> It's not clinical, but people have been consuming it. And as we often say, no one's ever died from it, but there can be contraindications. So mm -hmm. you need to listen to your body once again. Mm -hmm. um, last summer, we saw this vaping crisis kind of rear its head where a lot of people were trying to reduce harm, the harm of smoking by vaping. And it, for, for a good 10 years, it seemed like, hey, this is a good alternative. A lot of people picked it up. But mm -hmm. then people started getting really sick. So there is a bias against some of these things still. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you tell consumers? How do you protect yourself against any kind of medicine that, that might not be proven yet? I think the best is just to have a really great relationship between you and your practitioner. So that practitioner-patient relationship and having that that shared decision-making between the two, I think is just so important. And so I define shared decision-making as like, the patient and the practitioner sitting down and weighing all the benefits and talking about it as a discussion rather than the practitioner just telling them this is what you should do one, two, three, and then just expect the patient to be on board with it. So mm -hmm. you need to have a sort of a cannabis enlightened physician or pharmacist. Um, on Definitely. Your, on I think your... that that's really important to have someone who is taking it upon themselves to do more research and look into it after you know, they have graduated and been in the field for however many years. Definitely. Well, it's not that easy to find a physician and, and a pharmacist. I think you're sort of a diamond in the rough. I don't, I don't think there are too many pharmacists who are this enlightened yet. Um, as I said, the number is growing, but I mean, there are like with the Society of Cannabis Clinicians, how I mentioned there, there's a directory. So if you're looking for someone, I think that would be a great way for a patient to find someone. And I think apart from that, a lot of it is word of mouth, too. Okay, we'll definitely mm -hmm. get that uh, organization in the show notes so people. Oh yes, definitely. You know, the farm bill was passed uh, in 2018, and that has had an impact on. We can grow hemp now. CBD seems to really have exploded. Where do you see it going from here? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that there will be an overall decriminalization around the U.S. eventually. I do. I do think a lot of states are finally seeing that it could be potentially beneficial for so many different patient populations and different disease states. So I do think that that is in the future. I'm not really sure exactly when, but hopefully soon. Um, and then apart from that, I do think that a lot of the states in the Northeast, for example, that are requiring a pharmacist to be on premises and to be on staff of a dispensary, I think is just brilliant. So they can have the opportunity to speak with the patient and the patient can get that like specialized treatment too. I didn't know that, but that is a great idea. I mean, mm -hmm. out here in California, sometimes you ask your bud tender, <laughs> they really don't know. I mean, they'll tell you their favorite strain, but um, mm -hmm. in my experience, um, it's not easy to find somebody who can really give you a, a, a good perspective on the medicine itself. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't want to say that bud tenders don't know anything, but like they don't have the medical background and like that clinician lens. So I think that that's what's missing. Well, and again, as we talked about, it's sort of a matrix of, of different medicinal 
Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot to know about this plant um, with all those terpenes and cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. It's very complex. One piece of that complexity, if you can help us understand the difference between full spectrum, broad spectrum, and isolate products and, and which people should look for when they're when they're shopping for CBD. Yeah, definitely. So CBD isolate is when they've actually isolated only CBD, so that one constituent of the whole plant. Um, and so when you're buying a CBD isolate product, that's the only thing that's going to be in the product. Um, when we're talking about broad spectrum, that means that it includes other minor cannabinoids, so some of the other ones like CBG, CBN, for example. Um, so those will also be in that product along with CBD. Um, and then if we're talking about full spectrum, full spectrum is really to me like what goes um, with the farm bill. So that's that less than 0.3% of THC. So it will have CBD, the other minor cannabinoids that I just mentioned, CBD, CBN, but also C- oh, sorry, CBG, CBN, and other ones as well. Um, and then it will also have less than 0.3% of THC in it. So I think that's the, the main distinction between the three. Um, there is a lot of controversy when it comes to the entourage effect um, and whether a lot of the cannabinoids like work, whether the cannabinoids work together in your system and perhaps it's better to have a broad spectrum or full spectrum rather than just an isolate. I think more research is needed when it comes to that. But in terms of recommendations, I'm inclined to say that perhaps a broader full spectrum is better just because of the different possibilities of of um, benefits that come from different constituents of the plant. That's good to know. I know some people are vehemently opposed to isolates because because of what you mentioned, the the entourage effect, which is a real thing. Mm -hmm. So that 0.3%, do you know, is there a scientific basis for that or is it more or less arbitrary? Can you address that? Um, So I don't know specifics about it. However, I have had conversations with other clinicians and other colleagues about it. And my understanding is that it actually is a pretty arbitrary number that a clinician decided years ago when they were doing a lot of trials. And then it's kind of just stuck since then. So I don't think that that I don't I'm not aware of any specific rationale or reason as to why it's 0.3. I just think that's how research and everything has been done for a long time. So it's just kind of remained. Because in general, it's not enough to have an intoxicating effect, right? As far as I'm aware, no. It could depend on the person, but I would say on average, probably not. Some people are concerned about triggering a positive result on a drug test. Do you mm-hmm. do you think that 0.3% would do that? I think if people are worried about you know taking drug tests at work and if they do have a positive result that their job could be in jeopardy, then maybe just staying away from full spectrum just to be safe. Um, I don't think that it's going to show up probably just simply because of how little it is. I guess it depends on how much they're consuming. But overall, if, if they are worried, I would just say go for broad spectrum then. Mm-hmm. For the, the believers in an isolate, the, the argument for that is it's the pure molecule, unadulterated. And if you mm-hmm. if you're confident that it's has a specific effect, there's there's nothing else getting in the way of that. Right. And I think that like when it comes to isolate, a lot of research has been done, for example, in epilepsy, and that's the only FDA-approved medication of cannabidiol right now in the U.S. is the Epidiolex, and that's a CBD isolate. 
Um, so I think that there is, there can be a benefit for an isolate. I just don't think it sh- it necessarily is appropriate for everything. Some people are taking CBD for anxiety. And mm-hmm. the other thing we hear is, well, it doesn't have a psychoactive effect, but if it reduces anxiety, that is sort of psychoactive. I completely agree. I think the term psychoactive is a little bit of a misnomer. I think that like all the constituents, as far as I'm aware of, I would describe as psychoactive, but I liked how you used intoxicating for THC. I've heard that term used quite a lot when we're talking about THC versus uh, CBD. Let's talk about dosing. You know, often these things come in tinctures and there could be could be wildly different in, in the amount of CBD they have in them. So I guess we have to look closely at the labels and try to do a little math and figure out basically how many milligrams we're getting per dose, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think that a, a specialist can very much help with that, especially with starting with a tincture. Um, tinctures are great, I think, because you can take as little or as much of it as you need. So you can start low and titrate up or add a little more very slowly. So I like that as an option. Um, I know that the oil like sublingually and things like that is not something that we're really used to in our diet. So I think that that's a little difficult for some patients to integrate into their lifestyle. So I think that's why they look to other things like capsules and um, other formulations that suit them better. But yeah, I think overall tinctures can be a great place to start. You know, I guess it helps if the manufacturer puts a, a line on the eyedropper so you can see if it's a quarter full or a half full and then how you mm-hmm. equate that to milligrams. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen studies where the amount of CBD can vary wildly. I mean, some products have more than stated, some have less. What's your best advice for finding a brand that is accurately labeled? Yeah, I mean, that's the the big... Um, I don't want to say controversy, but a lot of people have been talking about that quite a bit, about all the different possibilities of what could be in the product or what isn't in the product, just because there's no standardization when it comes to regulations right now. Um, I do think that there are some um, regulation standards, like some companies, some third parties that are doing a good job. Um, So I I think it really just depends. And then I think speaking with like a specialist could help because maybe they have some insight and they have some relationships with certain brands. Perhaps that could be um, helpful. But I do know that um, the U.S. Hemp Authority does um, a pretty good job. I like how they have an emphasis on education. Um, So they really want to teach the growers and manufacturers and everyone that that they're working with about like GAP, so like good agricultural practices, GMP manufacturing practices, and labeling and a lot of that stuff. So I I like how they have an emphasis on that as well as the fact they have very rigorous standards. So that's a good example. Um, I'm sure there are other great ones out there as well, but um, it is difficult to know at this time. Yeah. We're doing something where we point listeners and and readers to the U.S. Hemp Authority uh, Mm -hmm. approved brands, certified brands. And I know you've been working with one of them, uh, Vitagen, uh, one Mm -hmm. of the relatively few brands that's been certified by the U.S. Hemp Authority. Yeah, I have been. Um, I actually met them. They were um, their office is a few doors down from um, the pharmacy, the independent natural pharmacy where I am most of the week. Um, And so that's actually how I met them. But they've been so great to work with and. Every time we have a discussion about anything that we're doing, whether it's a video, I just recorded a video for them about immunity, actually, um, and um, or if I'm writing an article or something like that, I, I think that they do a really great job of always thinking about the patient and the consumer 
Um, and they also really want to be involved in the community. I know they're looking into nonprofit work and trying to like have a voice in that space too. So I, I think they're doing a, a great job with trying to actually benefit their consumer. So you're pretty confident in telling uh, consumers that if they look for a brand that's been certified by the U.S. Hemp Authority, they can be confident in that brand. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of thinking about it. I think there are other good standards too, but I do think that the U.S. Hemp Authority is doing a great job. I think we might have mentioned some of the minor cannabinoids. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that? I mean, again, there's 113 known cannabinoids, maybe some more. Have we just scratched the surface of our knowledge of these and, and what sort of other efficacies might there be in this just long list of cannabinoids? Yeah, I mean, there's so many possibilities. I think when it comes to CBN, I've heard a lot about it helping with appetite stimulation. Um, So that like in tandem with THC, for example, something like that, I think could be great. Um, I've also heard a lot about it being used um, with, um, oh, like antibacterial potentially. Um, There's been some studies um, about that as well. I I do think there's just so much research that remains to be seen that I don't want to be like necessarily concretely saying it should be used for XYZ yet. Um, But I do think that there's so much potential. And overall, when it comes to like, a lot of the cannabinoids that I know about, they just are so great when it comes to their anti-inflammatory properties. And so many disease states can be considered inflammatory. And so if we look at it from that standpoint, I think cannabinoids can be useful in a lot of different disease states. We just don't know like the specifics yet. Just the fact that it's anti-inflammatory is, is a good reason to take it. Uh, do, you, do you take CBD as a supplement? I do. How many milligrams per day do you take? Um, I generally take around 20. I take a broad spectrum or full spectrum depending, but yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that, that is important to our listeners from your perspective? Um, no, I, I think I'm really glad we talked, we got to talk about the farm bill and we got to talk about, um, the, um, we got to talk about Vitagen as well as the endocannabinoid system and the isolate versus full spectrum and broad spectrum. I get a lot of questions about that. So no, I, I think we covered a lot of the big things that, um, I think are important to consumers. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, sure. Yeah. So my website is drswathi.com. So D-O-C-T-O-R-S-W-A-T-H-I.com. So feel free to um, look at my website. I have like all of my recent podcasts and a lot of the um, articles I've written and content that I've created for um, various companies and brands. So I have that on there and please connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you for taking the time, Dr. Swathi. Uh, we really appreciate your, your expertise and in, in helping us uh, find our way in, in the CBD jungle here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.